I was shocked the other day when I, <laughs> about this statistic. There are about 613 commandments in terms of do's and don'ts in the Old Testament under the law of Moses. 613. So obviously it's not just the Ten Commandments. 613. Do you know how many are in the New Testament? I, had, I was so shocked. 1,050. 1,050. I went onto a website and I began to look at it. And after I reached about 100, I stopped. But they had all the verses. But, it, but really, it's all captured under the umbrella of love God and love your neighbor. But there's actually more do's and don'ts. There's actually more do's and don'ts in the New Testament than there are in the Old Testament. Amen. Glory to God. Now, when Jesus is speaking in Matthew 7, verse 24, he likens doing the will of God to building a house on a rock or on sand. Okay? Matthew 7, 24 says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. How many of you would like to build your house on a rock? Good foundation. Good. It says, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine, now these sayings are basically, Jesus has been, been, has been talking about so many things like the Beatitudes. This was a sermon on the mount. So he does so many principles of the kingdom that he was talking about. And he's saying, anyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now, the foolish man was deceived into thinking that, oh, I can build my house on the sand. You know, it looks just like the one that's built on the rock on the outside. He was deceived into thinking that the rain can hold this as well. The wind would not blow it away. The floods would not overwhelm it. He was deceived. But Jesus, this is what Jesus is saying. If you build your house on the rock, it's like you're, that's, that is likened to the person who is obedient to the word. And in fact, the Bible says that Jesus is our spiritual rock. Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 4, and all, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Jesus is our rock. So when we build our, when, when we are obedient to the word, Jesus the word, we are building our houses on the rock. Amen? So the rock is the word. The rock is the teachings of Christ. Notice what if you, if you obey my teachings, you are like a person building on a rock. Amen. Are you hearing me so far? And conversely, you have the person who built on the sand. The sand is rarely anything that is contrary to the word. Anything. Philosophies, thinkings, ideas. And there's so many in the world today. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. You heard that? That's what is preached a lot in the world. And that's when Jesus gave that power. He says, God will say to that person, you fool, your soul is required of you. What would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Right? Ecclesiastes talks about young people enjoying the days of their youth. But it doesn't end there. It says, but remember your days, your, 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 the, the, the Lord, your creator. Remember your creator as well in the days of your youth. 
But the world says to each one of us, enjoy. And yes, you should enjoy. In fact, you should enjoy life. Jesus has come to give us the abundant life. But it's not just of, in terms of uh, pr uh, prospering in all things and being in health. It is also as your soul prospers. The whole package. But the world it focuses on just one area of it. Glory to God. Man, you're quiet today. <laughs> Glory to God. So, Jesus says that when we build our house on the sand, we are like fools. We're self-deceived because we think our house is secure. And really, the floods, the rain, the wind represents the trials of life. And when the trials come, they will hit the righteous and the unrighteous the same. They'll hit every kind of Christian the same. But when you build on the word and the teachings of Christ, you take it seriously and you do them, it says you're, you're going to be safe. You're going to be secure. But when you don't, the trials can overwhelm you. So we should be doers of the word and not hearers only to prevent self-deception. You know, I've taken to quoting 2 Timothy 3.16 a lot these days because many people don't realize that all of God's word is important, you know. And though we are under grace, it doesn't lessen in any way the power of God's word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, is beneficial for doctrine, for teaching. Showing the principles of, of how to live in the kingdom. It says for reproof. Reproof means rebuke. For correction. For instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's the word of God. So we have to take what God says in his word in the epistles seriously. If it says flee youthful passions, take it seriously. Because it's training us in righteousness. If it says forgive your neighbor as, as Christ forgave you, take it seriously. It says love your wife as Christ loved the church, take it seriously. Because it's training you in righteousness. Amen? Paul addressed deception in the church. I'm going to end with this. Paul addressed deception in the, in the church of Corinth. The church of Corinth had many issues. Some of them were really serious. Even though the Spirit of God was moving there, there were gifts that were operating left, right, and center there. So he brought a lot of teaching concerning the gifts as well. But they had serious issues. And one of the issues was that of deception. In fact, when you look at, what, at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 6, and 7, you begin to see the scope. And then you right, right through, really. But I'm just going to deal with a few of these things in, um, in 1 Corinthians that Paul had to address. You know, they believed then, they had theological sayings. The Corinthian church had theological sayings and that they had to justify their lifestyle of sin, their lifestyle of immorality. They had sayings. And I'll just mention three of them. First one was, all things are lawful for me. Now, Paul had actually used those words to talk about different kinds of food. And they took that sentence and they, they, they turned it into a, a saying that all things are lawful for me. Paul the apostle even says so. That was one. Then there was food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. 
and I'm going to get there. And then the third one was, everything that a man does is outside his body. Those were the three. But because of those sayings and that theology, they had embraced some of the thinking, the philosophy of the culture of Corinth, and it was now in the church, and Paul had to address them. The first one, all things are lawful for me. This idea was that because, you know, Paul was saying, look, we are in Christ, we have liberty. If somebody wants to eat bacon, let him eat bacon, because you know, once it's with word, the word of God and prayer, it's fine, it's sanctified, right? So you're saying you don't have to be like under the law and so on and so forth. But the point is that they took that one phrase, they coined it and said, look, all things are lawful for me. And as a result, they were beginning to say, I can do anything. I can do anything. And so Paul addresses it. 1 Corinthians 6, 12, he said, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. So Paul is saying, yes, it's true you can do anything, but then it's, it's, is it helpful for you? So somebody say, is it okay to drink beer? Look, I'm not going to judge you. God is going to judge you. I know what I do, right? Because I, 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 I have to stand before God. Is it helpful for me? Is it helpful for me to watch this program where there are so many nude bodies? Is it helpful for me? Uh, uh, River of Life, are you alive today? Okay, you're so quiet. Okay, praise the Lord. Can somebody say amen? amen. All right, amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay, so Paul was saying, look, is it helpful? And then he said, are you a slave to what you are, you are saying? Anything is okay for me. If you're a slave to it, then it means you have a problem. You cannot be a slave to anything. The only thing we should be a slave, the only thing we should, we should yield ourselves fully to is God. Amen? Can somebody say amen? amen? Then they said food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. Now this doesn't seem like a big deal. But the idea was justified in this. For, this was their justification for sexual immorality. The idea was this. Look. The food, food is made for the stomach. The stomach is made for food. So just like there's natural appetite and desire for food, the natural appetite and desire for sex is the same thing. Sex is made for the body. The body is made for sex. That was the rationale. And in the culture of Corinth, it was okay to visit prostitute houses. In the culture, it was okay. They didn't look down on you. So the church was saying, look, just like food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach is meant for food, and sex, is a, the sex drive is, 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 is there, it's a healthy drive, it's meant for the body, and so my body is meant for sex. That was the rationale. That was the thinking. They had embraced the culture of Corinth. And so Paul addressed it. And notice what he says in verse 13. You say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both, that, both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. You can't say that. And then he begins to teach. They were made for the Lord. And the Lord cares about your body. You see, if you do not have the teaching about Jesus being Lord, you will not see this. We belong to him. 
he's our lord he's our supreme authority he's our master he's our god let me just go on it says they were made for the lord and the lord cares about the body verse 15 don't you realize that your bodies are the uh, uh, are actually parts of christ we're members of christ it says should a man take his body which is a part of christ and join it to a prostitute that's what they were doing they were just visiting these these uh, these brothels and they said it's a-okay because i can do anything and after all the food is made for the body uh, food is made for the stomach and the stomach for food and the same way sex is made for the body and the body for sex and he's addressing this deception they were deceived they were deceived he says never verse 16 don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute he becomes one body with her but the scripture says the two are united into one that's talking about the marriage union of, of, and sex as well the two shall become one and then verse 17 says by the person who is joined to the lord is one spirit with him he's saying look you are actually one spirit with christ you're you are one spirit with him so you shouldn't just think you can join yourself to anybody okay then he goes on and says don't you realize that your body is the temple of the holy spirit Oh, so let me just, I'm going ahead of myself. The person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. And then it says, verse 18, run from sexual sin. Oh, that's not what's happening in the church, the 21st century church. He says, flee or run. Get away from it. Oh, no, we put on Barry White. <laughs> when we're not married, we have our girlfriend over. Have a nice meal with some wine. We're not running from it. We're running to it. But he said, run. Run. It's been done before, man. You always say, I'm young, I'm young. The testosterone or whatever it is you have inside of you. Joseph was a young, handsome dude. And that woman, Potiphar's wife, was all over him, wanting him. But he ran from sexual sin. And all the men and women said, Amen. So you can do it too. He didn't have the Holy Ghost all over him. He didn't have the Holy Ghost inside of him. He didn't have the greater power inside of him. Pastor Bob is the only one who's agreeing with me here. Because he's no longer young. Hallelujah. <laughs> Forgive me, Pastor Bob. <laughs> Amen. Run from sexual sin. No other sin to, is, so clearly affects the body as this one. He's saying this. Notice what he says. For, um, for, sexual, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? In other words, this body is a temple that the Holy Spirit dwells in. So it matters what you do with your body. It matters to God. He owns that body. Let me just finish up here and then you see what I mean. He says, don't you realize the Holy, um, the, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you. You do not belong. Then notice what it says, you do not belong to yourself. This is where a lot of us don't realize this. You don't belong to yourself, folks. You don't belong to yourself. And it says, for God bought you with a high price. What was that price? The blood of Jesus. You were redeemed by the blood of Jesus. You were redeemed by the blood of Jesus. So now I belong to Jesus. I belong to him. 
I remember when I, I went to, to Ghana in uh, 2015 and my dad had passed and I think 2016 was when we went and we did our one year anniversary and my siblings and I came into this discussion about bodies, you know, about dead bodies, who owns the body and in our culture, the body of, um, you know, if, I can't even remember what the culture is, but basically you do, the, the, the immediate family doesn't own the body. Okay, so if you're married and your husband dies or your wife dies, the, the, the immediate family doesn't own the body, can't dictate what is going to happen to the body. It is actually the family of the, of the deceased, okay, the extended family of the deceased, something like that. So we're in this huge debate at the, at the dinner table, you know, and I was saying, no way, my wife and my children, and then my other traditional siblings were saying, no, 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 we own the body, and they were going on and on, and, I, and after this, we didn't get anywhere, okay? two of us were on one side and the rest were on the other side and then I, I went to bed and I said Lord isn't there a scripture that you can help me with and he gave me a scripture this one my body belongs to God it belongs to God it doesn't belong to any of my extended family it belongs to Jesus why because I have been purchased with the blood of Jesus you have been purchased, so you are no longer your own. Glory to God. Deception had crept into the church because they were yielding to the word. They were not yielding to the word of God, but they were yielding to the ideas and culture of their day. You see, Paul always, always warned about fleeing sexual immorality. If you remember, even when the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit and they were debating about whether they should, um, they should continue in the, the law of Moses. He says, no, 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 don't, do, don't, don't let them go through that when they met. You know, he said, all they have to do is make sure that they don't eat any food that is um, offered to idols. And, and, and don't let them drink blood and says and let make sure they are not engaged in sexual immorality it was a teaching that the church tried to let because of the lordship of christ but the corinthian church they began to embrace the culture and the philosophy are you embracing the culture and the philosophy of the day or are you somebody that is heeding the word of god is jesus your supreme authority when you say, Lord, is he really your Lord? Or are you living a lifestyle of sin? Where are you with the Lord? Where are you with the supreme authority? Now, if you know in your heart, you know what? I've been missing the mark here. Don't get into condemnation or anything like that. Simply repent. Simply change your mind and say, Lord, I need your help here. You see, God gives grace, his ability, his strength, his influence on the humble. He gives it. The Bible says he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Pride is what attracts self-deception. Humility attracts the grace of God. Today, I'm here to encourage everybody that hears the sound of my voice. Don't be self-deceived. Don't deceive yourself. Don't let pride deceive you into thinking you are more highly than you really are. Don't let pride think that, make you feel that, that you, are, you have more influence than you really have. No. Humble yourself and know that every good gift that you have is because of God. The money you have is because of God. The position you have it's because of the grace of God. That is the right perspective. 
And then your body, it belongs to God. Glorify God with your body. Ladies, glorify God with your body. Young folks, glorify God with your body. Young guys, studs, dudes, glorify God with your body. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to him. Do you need help? Absolutely. We all need help. But there's a helper. I said there's a helper. His name is the Holy Spirit. He understands exactly what we're going through. All we have to say is, Holy Spirit, help me. And mean it in our hearts. And he will help you. Amen? But notice that Paul had to address deception. It was in the church. And there's deception today.